quote, I understand how, I do not understand why. He wondered, as he had many times wondered before, whether he himself was a lunatic. Perhaps a lunatic was simply a minority of one. At one time, it had been a sign of madness to believe that the earth goes round the sun. Today, to believe that the past is inalterable. He might be alone in holding that belief, and if alone, then a lunatic. But the thought of being a lunatic did not greatly trouble him. The horror was that he might also be wrong. He picked up the children's history book and looked at the portrait of Big Brother, which formed its front piece. The hypnotic eyes gazed into his own. It was as though some huge force were pressing down upon you, something that penetrated inside your skull, battering against your brain, frightening you out of your beliefs, persuading you almost to deny the evidence of your senses. In the end, the party would announce that two and two made five, and you would have to believe it. It was inevitable that they should make the claim sooner or later. The logic of their position demanded it. Not merely the validity of experience, but the very existence of external reality was tacitly denied by their philosophy. The heresy of heresies was common sense. And that was terrifying. Was not, And what was terrifying was not that they would kill you for thinking otherwise, but they might be right. For, after all, how do we know that two and two make four? Or that the force of gravity works? Or that the past is interchangeable? If both the past and the external world exist only in the mind, and if the mind itself is controllable, what then? But no. His courage seemed suddenly to stiffen of its own accord. The face of O'Brien not called up by any obvious association had floated in his mind. He knew with more certainty than before that O'Brien was on his side. He was writing the diary for O'Brien, to O'Brien. It was like an interminable letter which no one would ever read but which was addressed to a particular person and took its color from that fact. The party told you to reject the evidence of your eyes and ears. It was their final, most essential command. His heart sank as he thought of the enormous power arrayed against him, the ease with which any party intellectual would overthrow him in debate, the subtle arguments which he would not be able to understand, much less answer. And yet he was in the right. They were wrong, and he was right. The obvious, the silly, the true had got to be defended. Truisms are true. Hold on to that. The solid world exists. Its laws do not change. Stones are hard. Water is wet. Objects unsupported fall towards the Earth's center. With the feeling that he was speaking to O'Brien, and also that he was settling, setting forth an important axiom, he wrote, Freedom is the freedom to say that two plus two makes four. If that is granted, all else follows. George Orwell, 1984, Part 1, Chapter 7. Ever since I was a kid, I, I do the, 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 was it Dr. Claw from Inspector Gadget, you know? Next time, Gadget. Next time. Sorry, my brain dead. What are we talking about? You were brought up um, Tube in the Decline of Conversation yes. or something yes. like that. Yeah, so here's what I was thinking just off the top of my head. We'll riff a bit. Um, in the old days, you used to have like orators, right? And people would stand up in groups of people or at a dinner table or a party or whatever. Like even if it was in a university, they would have galas and dinners and people would make speeches. Mm -hmm. Speeches and oratory was a form of communication, not just for the sake of communicating, but also for the sake of educating. You get the people who know about something that you trust <laughs> 
to say things that are competent to express them and convey them to everybody else. And then when people got literate, we started writing essays and books and treatises because everybody could do it. Mm -hmm. And then it was like the formal debate. And we had formal debates where you actually listen to the other side, not just barking at them and yelling back and forth, but like a pointed structure so that both opinions actually got vocalized and articulated. It wasn't about a one-sided win. It was about getting the message out so that people could think for themselves and decide who won the debate. But like now that we have YouTube, every idiot sits in front of a camera and everybody's got this equal playing field, which I know we've talked about before, but like Sam Harris just released a video of like getting all pissy at his followers because they were mad at him for not inviting like Steve Bannon on his show. And he's like, but the guy just makes stuff up. There's nothing to argue with the person who says things that just aren't verifiably true. Even if he doesn't, so it's, uh, what's the guy's name? Sam Harris doesn't need to, he doesn't need to talk to everyone that his yeah. fans want. And like, I don't know, Sam it's Harris his platform. Is, like, yeah, if exactly. you don't like it, fuck off. Yeah, it's like, you should talk to this guy. And he's like, who? It's like, why don't you know who he is? Because not like I'm Sam Harris. I don't need to talk to every Steve that's out there. Today's episode is brought to you by Tank Racing. Go to your local racetrack and ask if they have tank races. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Frivolous Gravitas. We are back from our hiatus, mostly because Christmas happened and New Year's and Chris lost his voice. That's okay. He's got it half back, so he's not going to be yelling at us today. Uh, today, Speaking we will be... The thing the entire episode. Yeah, he's got this kind of, he's got, you know, it's kind of like it. It sounds dignified. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about... Sound um, like a 90-year-old pimp. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Dignified. <laughs> this is fine. <laughs> this is fine. Hello, welcome back to Frivolous Gravitas after our uh, short hiatus due to Christmas and travel and, you know, the wonderful world that is winter in Canada. Uh, today we're going to be talking about YouTube, but more, I guess, directly, I think we're going to be talking about um, public discourse and how it kind of works, how it's changed with YouTube and kind of where it came from in the beginning too, which is because there's some interesting, uh, there's some interesting historical ways of getting messages across that we're, uh, we can talk about today, but mostly we're going to be talking about how YouTube's changed public discourse, maybe for the worse, probably for the worse, maybe for the better. Uh, it's definitely not as bad as Twitter or Reddit, uh, but, uh, that it does have its problems. So um, I think, where do we want to begin? Um, Maybe start with like old, old literature and like letters and stuff like that. Oh, okay. It used what to if, be that a bunch of like the intellectuals and the scientists and the academic community used to write like professional sort of letters to each other, complete with like descriptions and equations and um, sort of outlining their, their thought patterns and processes as they thought about you know important stuff uh so whether it's politics or astrophysics or cosmology or religion or whatever um everybody was philosophizing about science and the way they communicated that was through thoughtful prose oftentimes so i think what we used to have is um, like before everybody was literate uh it was just like public speakers and elders and 
um, you know, church leaders and stuff who would pontificate. And they were basically the best people suited for that job, right? They were the ones who thought most or most deeply or who were most informed about all of these subjects. And we sort of all relied upon their, their collective understanding between each other and their engagements with each other to ourselves glean insights and understanding from complex material that we obviously didn't have time to all read for ourselves because not everybody can be an astrophysicist, right? But everybody's interested in space. So it's really important to have um, like communicators about cosmology and space. And you see, you know, all, all kinds of documentaries and Brian Cox and Carl Sagan, and all the yeah. guys that we've talked about already. Well, that's interesting right there that you bring up those guys because they are like, especially Brian Cox. Carl Sagan had a different um, idiom, but uh, that's, it's not much different. Um, but what you're seeing is, is that you have this, uh you know what nuts to this it's not going to make sense if i don't just get into uh, marshall McLuhan, because essentially what we're going to be the crux of i think what we're going to be arguing what you're arguing is that uh the medium is the message um and the medium changes if the medium changes the message changes to some extent uh that doesn't mean different stuff's getting said because the content isn't necessarily always the message uh go read Understanding Media by Marshall McLuhan. It's actually a wacky, fun book. Uh, you do have to pay attention. It's not an easy one, but it's worth reading. Now, in the past, when you get those guys who, those philosophers and those uh, natural philosophers, pre-science, pre-what we call science, um, in the early enlightenment, the reason a lot of times, because the medium is the message, what they were doing was, the best they could. They couldn't just go across Germany or from Scotland to Italy to be like, why did you write this equation like this? And they'd have to settle for a, a letter. Now, a letter is now the medium is the message. So the communication is inherently limited by the, uh, the medium itself. So you have a paper and you have only a set amount of papers because you can't send a book because you know it costs more because things are more expensive in the past and uh well stuff's worth you know more money yeah just because it has more numbers on it doesn't mean it's actually more expensive you had to see our economics episode <laughs> so um bigger number doesn't always mean uh more value but um so you send a letter off from Scotland where you're doing your Scottish enlightenment stuff. And you send it off to Italy where there's a couple scientists who are, Italy had some interesting thinkers back then. And what happens is you're limited to the word usage. So you have to think carefully about it. That's the first thing. You have to think carefully about what you're gonna be putting down, just like any form of writing. You know, you, you stop and you and you're like, what do I say? Well, you, you know what you wanna say. The first thing to, well, writing is have something to say, but you have a limited amount of space. You have a limited amount of time. Uh, you have to also be aware that the length of time of transmission is so much longer. So you have to at least give something that's not going to be out of date by the time it gets there. Um, for example, my third, the third chapter of my thesis, thesis, thesis is um, 
is feces because it's completely out of date by now. Um, it was out of date about six months after I wrote it. First chapter is fine. Second chapter is getting a bit stale, but it's still applicable. Uh, so transmission length is important. Now you get something like this was after the print, uh, the the print, right? So if you think of something like a before the printed word, you had books, um, but they were very expensive. You had to kill like 30 sheep to get enough vellum to uh, write a small book. But it also wasn't accessible. Like people no. weren't able to just go to a library or go online and download a book, right? So most books not, were not, even not only not accessible, they were hidden. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what was more important to the public then would be people discussing a book that the public hadn't read. Well, you had like, things called criers. Uh, well, in English, we call them criers. But in, uh, in Rome in the Middle Ages, and I don't know about Asia, but they probably had something similar where someone would literally stand up in the middle of the most, you know, market square and just tell the news. Uh, there's a the, there's a really good scene in the Rome miniseries where this uh, this this large, wonderfully enunciating orator just goes out there and be like, "It is the Jews' holy time. All mockery of them and their one God shall be kept to an appropriate minimum." And you know this is how they got information across back then. Someone would just go out there and talk loudly for all day. And that was the medium they had because you can't uh, you can't just go and read a book or read a pamphlet like you could in the Enlightenment uh, or now. And uh, the the that was the one way of getting the mass media out. That was the message as Marshall. There's a, there's a reason that worked though. The public had to accept that person. You know what I mean? They had to accept that person being a representative of some sort or yes. an authority figure of some sort. Authority they is did the that word by for the way it. Yeah. they conducted the oration mm -hmm. or by their relationship to the the, uh, the the church or to the the king or to the lord or whoever they were supposedly speaking the laws of. Yeah. Right? And part it would of come to them directly and that's what the press used to do as well. Mm -hmm. So we used to have government and businesses speak directly to the, the free press or <clears throat> or to newspaper media and the newspaper would just print whatever came to them in priority sequence basically mm -hmm. but now because you got like maybe i'm jumping ahead a bit but now the media has an ad model and a revenue-based model and they're com they're beholden to shareholders who also want their revenues and ad models to be more proliferated in their business. Right. So, so we are less inclined now to inform people because of the system that we've designed to encourage the opposite. Right. And, and that's absent that's a, that, absent the press that guides the people and the public towards what makes sense or what's sensible or useful to know, um, we're sort of defaulting back on everybody has an equal playing field in the right to speak, which they do, but the validity of the words that they speak are being grounded equally too and i think that's that's a tragedy in itself right and you you actually touched on a whole bunch of stuff there and you did get a bit ahead I'm but you succinct. did bring me to a <laughs> you uh um and i guess the ironic part of this is that we are actually quite yeah, part of the problem 
<laughs> no, well, we're we're not part of the problem. I think the thing is, is that we're amateurish, which means we don't hold enough as much authority, which means we have to get by on the merit. quality of our words. We have to get by essentially on merit and uh, not just on showmanship. But one thing you brought up and you you, ha- you made actually a really good example of the medium being the message and the, me- the medium of, um... oh, geez, that's going to bug me after get rid of that. Yep. And the medium of um, the medium of the ads, it's there to do a thing. It's, it's there to inform you in a certain way, the way it does. And when you go back to um, Roman times and Greek times and the Middle Ages, pre-enlightenment, pre- well, a lot of this, okay, let me just say pre-printing uh, press, because the printing press is... <sighs> <laughs> it can't ex- express the importance of the printing press. Now, the medium being the message, you're still going to get Caesar's propaganda. You're still going to get what they want to. You're not going to hear, you know, there's a battle over there. They might lie about who won the battle. They might lie about everything about that battle. And then they're going to have to, that's going to contend with the other way of getting stuff across. Well, there's two other ways in those. And they definitely accepted money to promote businesses. Let's not get that. Yeah, wrong. no, there no. Was advertising and our, shit back then too. Our problems and our problems on YouTube and our problems on in modern society. These problems aren't new. Yeah, I cannot stress that enough. All these new uh, economic and media problems—they're not new because the other two forms of uh, getting messages across was uh, let's see if we can guess them, but they're uh, graffiti. And there was so much. Go to Pompeii. Look at the graffiti. It's not G-rated. <laughs> uh, and um, and a lot of the graffiti was political in nature. You know, Caesar's got a small wang kind of stuff. Uh, you know, Cleopatra and Antony are, you know, tools of canoodling. the 80s. Yeah, they're canoodling too much or something. And you'll see lots of this ever. Like, uh, but it'll be like as mundane as like, um, you know, Titus's fish shop sells rotten fish or something and it would be like oh screw titus the grain shortage is a hoax yeah that kind of thing (laughs) and uh the grain too yeah yeah it's called the uh the grain dole but uh the and so but what would happen was the other thing was word of mouth and this is kind of you alluded to this a bit because people would discuss it and they'd go off and it was more of a well, nowadays we're very segregated from each other. Individuals are very segregated from each other, quite to an amazing amount in our society. Ironically. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we have all this technology to bring us together, but it's not doing it. And like we're physically segregated. We don't go to, uh, um, we're, we well, don't live- even go to areas of town that make them uncomfortable. Like there well, are people who grew up in an entire city who have never been to three quarters of their own city. Yeah. But, there's that, but like we live very like surprisingly solitary lives in our society, and well, it's not getting better with the restrictions, but that's neither here nor there. Back then, people would just be around each other twenty four seven, like all the time, because they'd all be working. No with radio, each other. no TV. Right. So what are you gonna do? You tell each other stories. You talk about stuff. You talk about what's going on. Oh man, have you heard about what happened at Pharsalus? Yeah, no way. I can't believe Caesar won that battle. And so people will talk and there'll be hearsay and this and that, but there'll be nothing to 
there was no mechanism to stop hearsay, to stop, um, to check propaganda, to, 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 to look out for fake news. And, uh, none of our fake news watchers are working now, but whatever. And so what happened was once the printing press was invented, um, talk was able to be corroborated by like, Oh, I heard that the King's, you know, back. And then you, someone pulls out a pamphlet that's, which is probably illegal going like, no, I, I, I have this pamphlet here, which says, you know, blah, 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 blah. That, you know, the, the Holy Roman emperor actually died. And, and, and there's a dispute between the Palatinate and Brandenburg or something, or, uh, Vienna is really mad at, you know, Bohemia or something like that. And this would help the gossip. And then you get people like us, and this is the our historical analog who would just be like i've got something to say and well you've seen us do that and they put it in a pamphlet and they'd say it and then they'd get strung up and killed but um that's neither here nor there the thing was that they were able to say it and if they could catch them and so a great example of this is martin luther uh who literally well, I read, just read that book that Chris recommended at Christmas. So that's kind of fresh in my mind. <laughs> and uh, a thing, he put out his theses and he's like, you know, the, the Catholic Church, the authority, literally the authority on earth. Capital for, T, capital A. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they, and he went to Rome. He said, this is stupid. He walked around. There was a guy selling indulgences which is uh, you pay to get your friends and yourself out of purgatory, which is like spiritual jail. Uh, it's kind of like oxychloroquine for the soul. It's kind of blackmail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's metaphysical blackmail, essentially. And um, you pay money to get out and uh, he guilts you into it. And so he came up with this 95 Theses. He was a scholar. So what he did was he uh, wrote out what he thought was wrong. You can look them up online. It's free, like it's history. Uh, don't be squeamish if you're a Catholic, uh, but because your church has definitely changed since then. All the Lutherans are like, oh my God, they're talking about us. Yeah, <laughs> six Lutherans out there. There's lots of Lutherans. Could you chill out on the brim hellfire and brimstone, please? Um, touch bit. You're not as bad as the Calvinists, but you know, just <laughs> Calvinists are just gonna DDoS me, I swear. But <laughs> they'll ride in on flaming chariots. Yeah. <laughs> just guilt trip me. <laughs> so what <laughs> so what he did was he wrote these 95 theses complaining about the church. Now he didn't actually expect, he wasn't being a revolutionary. He was literally just, this was a normal thing that happened every day. There were probably like three other notes on the nailed to the church. It was just where you, the church was the center of all life in a town or city. And so everyone would see it. And the, the purpose was literally to start a debate. He didn't know he was going to become, you know, the Martin Luther king of oh no wait that's a different guy but uh <laughs> i think the book actually made that joke <laughs> king of slings he didn't even know he would become the most popular martin luther uh, uh but second no um what was i saying he 
it was supposed to just spark a, spark a academic debate. That's all he thought it would do. He thought the local scholars would see it, be like, very interesting, <laughs> dangerous, but interesting. Let's discuss this. And he thought someone would come up and just, you know, argue for the Catholic church, maybe even put his, um, his, his misgivings to rest a bit and maybe move the church in a, in a positive way forward, very, very incrementally slowly, which is the opposite of what happened. Uh, <laughs> and so, um, this way of getting, this was the medium you nail your questions to the church and it starts a public debate and then people talk about it in public. And this would have been a, a debate that anybody would have become, been able to come to. Not many people would have because most people were working, um, you know, in agriculture or, uh, you know, doing their apprenticeship, making shoes or something or barrels or wheels or something. And, but anybody who was interested could come. And um, they were a bit snobbish about it because there was a lot of, um, what do we call that? Elitism, but like class elitism. It was uh, almost like exclusionary too. Like they would yeah. say you're not part of this group and we're not letting you be part of this group. Like it wasn't even just, you know, yeah. leave it to us. It was like, you can't come in. <laughs> you wouldn't understand. Yes. Yeah. So we'll probably well, they not. They did but... that too with women and black people or whatever, like depending on where you were. What could you possibly understand? <laughs> yeah, and to some extent, in that day, um, I had oh, it's a just normal though. They didn't think twice. Yeah, of. well, and they probably wouldn't have been wrong either, because the dietary differences alone between the nobility and the peasantry, um, like the hell, it made uh, the reality of health different. Like the peasants would have looked up to the nobility and just seen someone uh, who was probably better looking, able to live longer. Uh, they didn't have as many weird uh, diseases. Boils and rashes they, everywhere. They were cleaner. They looked, they were dressed better. Like these people would have seemed better to the peasantry. Um, now, had the peasantry been fed as much as they would, uh, yeah, that probably would have changed the way they looked too. Now, was they able to actually feed the peasantry with the technology they had then? Absolutely it's not. Debatable, but probably not. Even if I'm they did it for one generation, they'd all have children, and then they couldn't do it the next generation. Yeah, like, then Malthus would actually be right. I'm sorry, I can't believe Malthus is right, but Malthus's equation would have actually played out there. And that's why they, populations didn't explode until the early 19th century or 18th well, or 20th century. I mean. For this, and this is a bit of a digression, but the, the Little Ice Age uh, caused crops to fail in the 14th century, and it, which exacerbated people's immune systems, which made it easier for the plague to develop, which helped the plague to develop into a stronger plague. And then the wars didn't help, but the, the famines increased effects, wars. And then generational effects, and then... Well, well generational effects are like, I don't know, generational trauma isn't really a thing oh it totally is no i mean like if you get if if you like all of our ancestors were slaves let's just put it that way no but during <laughs> the potato famine the next mm. generation to be born yes. way more likely to have uh, chronic disease and then their right. kids inherited chronic disease at a much higher rate right but that type of thing. but it diminished over the course of like two generations you don't get like uh you know the slavs aren't going around being like oh 
oh well the reality oh. is we just don't have data it doesn't mean that it, it diminished right. it just means that we don't know anymore this is a question for our local geneticist <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, even things like volcanoes going off and causing the year of winter right that mm -hmm. type of crop uh, poor crop yield just it it doesn't just happen in one year it's the year after and the year after and the year yeah. after because you weren't able to till your soils and you work as hard because you didn't right. have as much energy. And it's... when people die from plagues and there's less workers, like there's a, a domino cascading effect to all of these types of insects. Right. And, and then some threats. weird bug from Persia comes out and wipes out half of Europe. Yeah. And so but that's that's sorry. a that's a digression though. And to get back to what you were saying, I do want to object a bit. Like, I, I reject the notion that the medium is a message, and I know you like to say it a lot, and I sort of let it go usually because it's a tangent, but I think it's particularly relevant in today's discussion because I think it gives way too much credence to the actual medium. The medium is just, it's a catalyst, right? right. So if you and take your medicine by water or by oil or by smoke or by whatever, if it gets in your body and does the treatment, the catalyst is irrelevant. The only time right. the catalyst matters is if it changes the effectiveness, right? And right. that's sort of what we want to get into is how it's so, changing the effectiveness. Having right. a catalyst medium like YouTube versus a catalyst medium like a university or a radio program or a reputable news right. organization. So when I'm saying the medium is a message, I don't mean that being on YouTube is going to make me say different things. It's going to allow me to say more. It's going to, but I'm it, like, um, this applies not just to media, it actually applies to all technology, like a shelf. Uh, he's got an example of a light bulb. The light bulb is the medium. The message is that it allows us to read at night. And the message ends up being, the content of the message is us being able to uh, leverage nighttime uh, activity now. That's kind of what he's getting at. It's not, it's not a literal thing where he's saying, um, the medium changes what you say because it influences how you say it to some and to some extent it, it, to some extent that, it does and that's sort of what it's he more on. what does youtube let us do how does youtube affect our actions how does the printing press affect our actions and that's but I kind think of metaphysically it's more important to just distinguish that just in today's episode mm -hmm. because the medium itself is not a physical thing it's an approach right yes. like it's a concept of how we're approaching something right and not the actual item that we're using or the tool that we're using right. to convey our messages. It's a technology, just like economic technologies aren't physical things. Yeah, and books are like, technologies that are physical things, but the the concept of reading is not physical. Right. It's like interest. Interest yeah. isn't physical. Uh, it's it's a it's a thing, but it's it's a technology. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to point yeah, out that. Yeah. So no, matters. I get what you're saying because I don't. I actually, uh, it's a pet peeve of mine when people don't read the book and take it literally uh, yeah. or, but when like people say, uh, that would like be a digression that would be things, annoying. Like quotes, like we talked yeah. about in our other episode. Yeah. And I'm finding the quotes for this. We also we have to find a lot of misconstrued quotes. Uh, I think we found one that didn't actually belong to a guy, but um, the, where were we? Oh yes, so we are at Luther. Sorry, everybody. We were at Luther. Don't and... apologize. They are willfully listening. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the way they were able to best get their message across in the early Enlightenment was through pamphlets, 
writing letters to each other, writing books to each other. And if they could, they would travel and have a debate and have a big long thing. And, you know, people would paint pictures of it if they were rich enough. And well, paintings are another way of conveying that stuff. Um, but it really didn't change much. Well, it changed a bit, but mostly in refinement over the course of the next couple hundred years, you, you got the additions of such technologies as punctuation, spaces between words, <laughs> indentations in paragraphs. Oh boy, do we take these for granted. Dictionaries. <laughs> yes. You don't even use uh, them anymore. In the 19th century, encyclopedias and dictionaries, uh, the ordering of information, just stuff just amazingly helpful. Oral words from other languages. Like, oh yeah. Imagine how hard that would have been back in the day. <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, North America was pretty much just like, what do you call this? Uh, Connecticut. Okay, we're going to call this place that. <laughs> it's just like, we need to change the names to more indigenous names. All these names are indigenous, well, except for Edmonton, but Winnipeg is Quintepec, just anglicized. And anyway, but Vancouver. most of what we had in the discourse was just an elaboration on earlier forms. And mostly that's, you could apply that to anything. But in the 20th century, you get in the 19th and 20th century, something comes around where industrialization allows um, the media to explode, not only and people had no idea how to handle this people in the 19th century. So I'm going to keep going back 18th century was when it really started in uh, mostly in Britain. And all of a sudden you can print whatever the heck you want. It was literally the, the, the grammatical wild west and uh, well, mild east in our case, but like you could print whatever you want, say whatever you want, do whatever you want. As, you know, as long as you stay within the bounds of not getting stabbed by your crown or something. And uh, then people were, literacy just started rising exponentially and people started reading it and you know they would buy a newspaper and then they'd take it to the bar and the one person can read would read to everybody or the same thing would happen in the family the one person that could read would read to everybody people were astonished about and this is going to sound very particular people were astonished by how much crime and death there was in the city because they were stuck in their own little bubbles of you know but also like how big the world was right like how there were languages a lot of people back then didn't even know there was more than four or five languages in the world and when they found out they got super interested in things like japan yeah like cultures and and they they just absorbed them like this is why i don't believe that people are like inherently racist is because when they found out about this stuff they're like tell me everything about Russia. I didn't know it went that far. (laughs) Yeah. And so you got people interested and they wanted to hear, but also at the same time, reality was scaring the living hell out of them because they didn't know what there was thing. They kept thinking crime was going up. And this is a huge thing in the 19th in the 18th century. Crime is going way up. There was never this much crime. No, you have newspapers now. Now you can hear about all the little crimes and in the reverse, and this is starting to sound very familiar because people were scared of crime and the crime that was present. In fact, crime was actually going down because of the English common law system, which was slowly being established over that century. Was developed that, from Hammurabi's code, by the way. Well, that's that's a long pull. Hundreds but and hundreds of years prior. It's, it's it's long, but it was starting to coalesce in a kind of a bureaucratic. That's another episode. Um, but 
the but it's important to note that when crime was going up and people thought crime was going up people were also becoming more aware of what their actual laws right. were they didn't even know their own laws before right well they, they didn't act, them up well, both the at this time in this in the 18th century yes actually 18th century i'm right uh they didn't have laws written down that's what i mean by the the construction of english common law they were the judges kept making precedent after precedent after precedent and eventually they codified it all together and they literally took at the end of the 18th century um yes 18th sorry i keep thinking it's a different century so the eight the 1700s they kind of took all these precedents together and sat down for like years and just said okay what is going to be the overriding law code in our in our society and they came up with well a law code that's very very similar to what we have today you know every man should be treated equal you know guilty until uh no innocent until proven guilty unless you're in alberta uh look at most of the world <laughs> yeah um uh and so all of the stuff that we take for granted uh habeas corpus that kind of stuff is codified during this time but the funny thing about it is that this was causing crime to go down this new equal law code uh was causing people to uh you know actually know what the laws were but also be aware of the punishments but the media itself was taking this and being like someone died page three and you know oh there was a stabbing. All right, get that on. There was a fight and they wanted the juiciest stuff because sensation sells and you want to sell papers. And the penny presses were making a killing because they could just print what people wanted to read. And a lot of that was, you know, there was a swashbuckling affair and this. Oh, look, pirates. Which but a lot of it wasn't even true. Like they would make stuff no. up for sensationalism because there was it was the Wild West. Like you said, exactly. nobody was governing what they said in the paper. There and was this, no slander laws or anything like that back then. There eventually would be. Um, but they were, well, eventually after like prove that it destroyed years. your business and your livelihood, and then you had to pay for the courts and you had to pay for the lawyer and pay for yeah. the judges. And then you had to hope that somebody actually cared enough to take up the case. Right. So because the, the case, the judges, the, the courts were be, had now impartial and not just a tool of the state because the, after the revolution, uh, they kind of separated the courts and the courts kind of had become their own thing which was very advantageous to everyone in britain because you know when they i think they were the, still appointed by royalty though right yes so they but, didn't prosecute the royals but other than that it was free well the royals are on a you can't prosecute lawyers. that wouldn't be a thing until much later and well we're but, still working on it <laughs> prince yeah Andrew. yeah well he's not doing it he's inconsequential luckily oh and he's so, getting sued in civil court now <laughs> that's exactly. like the first time i've ever heard of it yeah so what is interesting is that you get this codification now during the now my one of my specialties was uh the papers during the civil war where you have luckily what happens and starts happening is uh this kind of evolves out of pamphlets and you start getting and this happens earlier, but I remember it specifically in Civil War, uh, where you start getting papers that hold one political aspect. So the Sun will hold one, the Times will hold um, another, you get the uh, um, the Post holding another, you get all these penny presses, these cheap, 
regs that you know are printing pretty much sometimes the same thing sometimes you'll read one article in one and then you know they'll just reprint it in another paper because you know who's going to check they take it to the court and then you know they pay off a little thing our problems are not new and so this is the from pamphlets you get into newspapers newspapers start to become more of a uh a like ubiquitous thing they're not something that you do but they are very political so you know when a newspaper claims to not be political they're lying to you <laughs> the newspaper's have, political man. this notebook isn't political not everything is political Yosef Goebbels but the newspaper is political and so but the newspaper nowadays I, I can I'm just gonna skip ahead 150 years <laughs> Thank you. And and because uh, nothing much happened, it just got more and more savvy with better technology, just like color and it was refined ads. over time. Yeah, it was just it got refined into what we see it today. But it's pretty much the same animal, less text, more pictures. Look at the monkey. And again, uh, important to note, we're still working on it. Like, oh yeah, well, Disney's single-handedly changing copyright law, for instance, and Microsoft and Apple are single-handedly changing uh, antitrust law. So it's an evol it's an evolved process, and it doesn't just move in a linear direction forward. Mm -hmm. It's an evolved process that takes steps backwards and to the sides, spins around a few times. Like it, it's not at all directly progressive. And a lot of people get that misconception when they do talk about um, media and conveyance of or purveyance of information, thinking that being where we are now, that we're so automatically some type of more enlightened, more informed people. But that's not at all the case. It is entirely more plausible that at the dawn or the advent of a new technology that enables further communication, it's more likely that we'll be led astray, wildly astray, before we eventually veer back and find a norm, common sense type of path. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think... But like, the faster your car goes, the more likely you are to get into high-speed car accidents before you figure out how to, like get proper traction control and uh, automatic braking and, you know, sensors in your wheels for your air pressure and tire diameters and all kinds of stuff evolve as a solution well, to a problem that we didn't know existed when cars could only move five miles an hour. And I think a lot of people look at them as a finished product too. When you get something that seems like, oh, it's it's this has always been like this, but also it's at its height. This is what we have, and this is it. This teleological um, construct of platonic journalism is just no. Yeah, but just look at the internet. But anything no. you look up and search, every web page has a pop up that blocks you from seeing anything because of cookies. There's no way that's the epitome of all of civilization. No. Well, what what is, what what the thing is is that it's we're still in the beta of. That's what I mean. Technology, like, and they were always going to be in the beta. But we get like, this false impression that we look at the internet and say, look how amazing it is. Google finishes my sentences for me and stuff. And be like, yeah, but look at the websites it feeds you. Everything yeah. is an ad. The medium is the message. <laughs> that, you that's want not internet, effective. You get like, this. And so what, well, actually, I kind of want to get into stay with paper media for just a second because it's become absolutely irrelevant. And the companies that are clinging to it are just, in my at least in my esteem, are just continually becoming more and more irrelevant. The more and more they cling to this old method and this old medium, which does 
restrict them and it does uh, keep them from like, I'm not going to turn to page four or like go to the sports thing when I can just type in like, you know, Winnipeg Jets. Oh, that's the score. I move on with my life. I don't want to have to like go through ads and do all this stuff. It's, it's absolutely uh, ridiculous. And it's forcing a lot of these, this legacy media to become more and more corrupt to stay relevant and to become more and more sensational to stay relevant. And you're starting to see, and this is kind of segue into, uh, digital media, you're starting to see them being replaced by uh, independent journalism, which is struggling because of censorship mostly, um, To, uh, but they are more effective. Now, why? And we've come kind of for a full circle here um, because we started with uh, town criers and word of mouth and writing on the side, you know, drawing penises on the side of buildings uh, with the word Caesar in them. And now we are back to town criers, a word of mouth and drawing penises on the side of a website with the word, you know, Trump or Biden in it. No, same thing. And so what you, what we've ended up with is the same thing, the same thing, but and this is the butt thing is that it allows, and now if the medium is a message, what, is it, what does it let us do? What does this technology do that's different? Well, I can, as long as someone has an internet connection, they can hear us. And this is, we're leveraging that right now, right here. It's kind of a weird meta conversation, except we're not journalists. We're just, what are we? <laughs> Vloggers, and, I guess. Oh God, no. Oh man, you almost I almost closed this down. Well, what's important <laughs> to point out though is that because of our access to information and fact checking, even though we're not doing it, we're able to. We can make the choice now, whereas before mm -hmm. we never could. Yes. So right now we're in a process of, and this is just my own opinion, but we're in a process of learning to value the importance of checking things, not just receiving things, because now we have reception in abundance. Mm -hmm. We can receive information so much that we can't even absorb it and then we can save it in all these hard drives and store gigabytes and terabytes of it yeah. but we don't even have enough lifetime to go through all of it like it's physically right. impossible because of how much it's grown that's, that's where archivists come but in. filter now and yeah. requiring a filter is something we haven't evolved or learned to do effectively yet well, and i'm hoping that's what we do with podcasts and, and discourse is it's a form of filter it takes out the it separates the wheat from the chaff not just because of someone's opinion but because of someone's opinion multiple times over right and, and it's like well, a coale coalescing of thoughts and ideas to, that sieves through all all the garbage that you have I to sink through so like there's there's a refinement and sophistication and a focus to our engagement now that we could have never had unless we were in a university and spent our entire right. lives so, um, studying in archives and stuff like that. To, to build on that um, is that I think that the filter is long form discussion. I think it's, it, that's it, it has because to. what, what I like, what I do as an archivist or when I'm doing archivist stuff, I had to train myself to, be a little more objective to filter and see what it was because I'm going to be looking at weird new 
wave art stuff. I'm going to be looking at economic records. I'm going to be looking at business records. I'm going to be looking at everything. So I have to be able to sit there, filter, look at something for what it is without the bias, without being like, Oh, I got to burn this. Cause it's someone I don't like politically and just move ahead and do my work. I have, you know, archive stuff that I'm, that worked in a political milieu that I disagree with. It still needs to be saved because one thing about the town crier is that if he wasn't the king's man, they could stab him. Uh, and the thing about the internet is that you can't do that. Now, long form discussion, and I kind of really harkens back to not all the way back to town criers, but um, the way speeches used to be, but more, I think, allows us to be more elaborate because. I think you brought this up before we were, we started was you get used to get um, a speech. And one of the things about, you know, you'll always hear about uh, Lincoln's emancipation proclamation uh, is that it was short and it was short. It's like a paragraph and people were, went, got up there and they went, Oh, the president's coming to speak, you know, on the war and stuff after Gettysburg. So he gets up there, there's a bunch of speeches and everyone's kind of like, that was a good speech, but that's it because they expected people to, this could be apocryphal, but what was expected at the time was that speeches would last for two, three, four hours. You'd be there for an afternoon. Someone would advertise that they're coming into town to make a speech. And this is how political things would be done. Uh, especially was you get up there get up there on your little podium and you'd be like, I can't put that in there because it blocks my mic. Uh, you get up on your little podium and you'd start speaking. Why should you vote for me for president? Well, here's my three hour discussion with the town about it. And a politician had to be able to speak to everybody because he doesn't know who's going to come into that hall because and the people, people just would heckle him. So right. Like if he was doing a bad job or you'd get all these abusive kind of comments. Right. And so because like we live public response to it. And live. people, people make fun of the Americans for being rude and stuff, but that rude, mocking, heckling behavior forced the politicians to actually try. You ever watch <laughs> British House of Commons? It's hilarious. Yeah. They still do it in Britain. Like, yeah. <laughs> and so that's part of what like it's meant like democracy is messy and it's supposed to be messy because you know you get a citizen who's a coal miner being like yeah but my son lost his job so why should i vote for you and they go well you know blah 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 and he gives them fake promise and he goes yeah i'm voting republican this year because lincoln's where it's at and so um so well, that was 1860 when you would want to vote republican um and so uh the this was normal and then you'd often have debates like this you know you you'd get two opposing sides show up and they'd argue at each other for two hours and it'd be it sounds fun <laughs> in all honesty it sounds engaging now you compare that to what media became and like even by world war one and the 20th century was you get people writing speeches you get people um you get 30 second sound bites, you get pictures, well, pictures speak a thousand words. It's like, yes, but tell me what happened. They only tell me a couple W's and I want all the rest of the W's and the H too. Um, 
And so you also get sensationalism where, well, it's, there's also sensationalism, but you know, you get stuff like CNN, which doesn't actually do any reporting uh, or uh, they don't actually do any investigative journalism. They just report on stuff that they heard on Twitter and, uh, and like the legacy media, Fox, CNN, uh, MSNBC, they all just, they all, they don't actually go out and do any reporting. They're just entertainment. They're news entertainment. And it's a form of reality TV now. Like it, yeah, it's not, it's not really good even journalism, it. what they're doing. They're hearing a journalist go out from the Associated Press or through Al Jazeera or BBC for actual people with actual jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And then Fox will report something without any backing. And then CNN will report that a source at Fox said something. And then yeah. MSNBC will say CNN and Fox both said this. Well, then Rachel Maddow will go up fact- and be like, can you believe what has happened? But the thing is, none of them are doing any of this fact-checking, and it's no. sort of assumed and incumbent upon the listeners to do the fact-checking for themselves. But where we're really failing at this information age or this you know, enlightenment-type era that we're in is we're assuming that they're doing all the fact-checking because of how easy it is yes. to fact-check. Right. So everybody's got this sort of laziness mentality, and we're relying on a capitalist system that's ad-motivated to fix it for us. Like capitalism fixes a whole lot of problems with motivation and distribution of goods and reward for labor and productivity. But what it does not do well is convey information. It's one of the worst possible ways to rely on somebody for fact when when their income is reliant on you believing whatever they have to say. Luckily, the free aspect of our society allows us to do that though. Yeah, but that's part of the evolution we haven't caught up with yet, the fact-checking part. Which is why I say long-form, this is exactly the reason why I say long-form discussion, because when you're talking for three hours, you know, a lot of times when you're writing a speech, they're like, this is perfectly crafted so you don't put your foot in your mouth and they still somehow manage to put their foot in their mouth. Um, But like, you know, you have these scientifically scientifically crafted uh, speeches, but when you're speaking for four hours and you, the, 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 the crowd expects you to just riff and just talk about, you know, their things and see if you're, you can't hide if you're an idiot or not. You can't hide uh, your vocabulary. You can't hide your anything. If you're sitting there and the people, you know, your speech is done and the people go, you're not done yet. And when you are, have an opponent that you're talking to for three hours, like what, we try and do, or you get something like, uh, like any of the long form media out there where they like have a, like a, like a four hour podcast talking about one topic. And if, if, if you have contradictions in there, it's going to become readily apparent within you know, the first half hour. If you and that are, is the purpose. That's the hmm. function. Like it's not yeah. to insult people or belittle them or make them feel stupid or look stupid on TV. The whole point is to have somebody draw out and flesh out a really strong thought argument and then find a flaw that might tip the whole house of cards over. Because then they have to rethink about it too. It benefits everybody involved, even though it's a little embarrassing and uncomfortable. The whole point and purpose to it is served by people doing that type of heckling or like comments. Mm -hmm. The simplest thing we could be doing with our news media, even though it's transitioning onto the internet, is allow readers to comment. 
And now they're starting to ban people's comments, not just yeah, turning them. off comments, turning off down votes. Like one of the yeah. things, like go to your local news, uh, like, I don't know, Winnipeg Free Press, I'm sure has a, a YouTube channel. I know Edmonton Journal is, but you they know what I'll do if they say something, websites. I'll put a comment saying like, are you sure this is the best policy? Why are you doing this? Like, that's not how that like the last garbage pickup company was fine. Why? Like and then you can link your references and cite your sources. So everybody reading that article can read your comment and your sources. Yeah. That's vital. That's a way of communicating information. Cause then even if the, the journalist wrote something that's wrong, it's not to throw eggs and stones at them. It's a place where you can post a citation and a reference that's relevant to a well thought out idea mm-hmm. that contradicts it. Yeah. That's the point. But as soon yeah. as you start banning stuff like downvotes or comments or censoring people who aren't abusive but just have different ideas or like outright just not disallowing comments, period, even yeah. though it costs you absolutely nothing to do it, like the concept is broken. As soon as you do that, the concept of information um, gathering and soliciting is broken. Well, that's why it seems you're to advertising me like, only. That's all you're doing by that point, right? Because the advertiser, when the advertiser's king, and you see a lot of, uh, you see some people like doing that. It's like, hey, I'm advertising for this company. I don't give a crap about them. All right, let's talk about some controversial stuff. And there's a lot of companies that are advertising on, um, like they don't care. They're like, I want my product out there, and almost those. Uh, those ads are almost, um, I don't know, there's a couple people on YouTube that I watch to understand how to like do better firearm maintenance. Now, firearms are not popular on YouTube um, because guns equals bad. And so, but there's still people that will go, there's still companies that are like, an audience is an audience. Let's get out there. I want to sell my stuff. That's honest. That to me is honest. They're not trying to be like, and they're not trying to control the discourse that happens around them, which is it's folly, because a lot of these companies and a lot on YouTube, especially, is trying to uh, control this hydra, and which we are part of this hydra of public opinion and public uh, discourse. And the more you control it, the, the the shallower it gets. And so when you have an ad that says, you know, oh, we don't need to talk about this, or we want, they're putting pressure on YouTube to censor uh, talk about. It's sometimes it's absolutely stupid. Uh, I don't know, like, like you can't mention China. It's just a country yes. on Earth. Yeah, like, how okay. is it illegal or like in in the YouTube world illegal okay. to mention a country's name? Here we go. Taiwan is a country, yeah. and and COVID virus came from a lab in Wuhan. Yeah, and CSAM LGBTQ. Yeah. Um, but here, here's the issue I have with it, though. It's not just the overt Nixon got stuff. caught. <laughs> Sorry. It, it's the surreptitious things, too, like the research that we're not doing, the peer-reviewed research that doesn't get done because of a publish or perish model. When oh, people yeah, that- actually want to go out and do important research, but they don't have an idea that's like revolutionary like literally those words revolutionary yeah they should be able to get published doing peer-reviewed research just to practice their craft of science that's a very vital and important function and we're not serving it whatsoever because we want headlines yeah because that's how universities get endowments is based on how many publications and citations and then they offer tenure so there's a for-profit incentive 
for the researchers at the school or university to get tenure through their publications and their research. All of yeah. that is just completely bastardizing the function and purpose of the institutions that we regale as being like high society, civilized humanity. Like the greatest things about human civilization, culture, and society are the things that we're shitting on for ads. And it's yeah. not for ourselves to make money on the ads. It's so that like a fraction of a percentage of people can benefit from it. Right. And so this is, I think we should just call, start calling this like the democratized media because this is what we're doing right now because when you what's stopping you from doing your research and like having it even peer-reviewed like because you don't actually need to go to a journal you can just go up to professors in your field and be like once you read my paper and they'll be like no and be like i'll give you 50 bucks <laughs> and so you get them to actually read it and like do a thing on because it real then, research costs money yeah well it in like scientific research um uh if you need you a lab it costs money well in the if humanities supercomputer it, it costs money in in the humanities it's a little less expensive uh even though they keep claiming they need more and more money but whatever um <laughs> the um the thing is that because of democratized media if you have an idea you can take it to youtube and if you've and just like any other idea if you've done your work uh well, you can get it out there. Now, getting it out there is hard. We have 20 subscribers and well, whatever. But no, but that's a perfectly valid point. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to think that our podcast is less useful or productive than, say, um, not Sam Harris or whatever, because that guy's pretty yeah. smart. But yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, Gamer Meld or something like some guy who publishes videos about GPUs being, oh, there's a chip shortage. Oh, there's still a chip shortage. Oh, there's still a chip shortage. Like every day, and the guy has like thousands and thousands of views. Nothing right. against the guy. Right. That's not nearly as useful as anything we've ever produced on this channel. Right. And so like the fact that we my... have 20, view, uh, 20 subscribers or whatever says more about our friends and family than it does about <laughs> the popularity of our content. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think a good example of this is um, while James Lindsay and the New Dorks Discourses podcast, you know, kind of tinfoil hat, if you want to go there, he does a good job of explaining how the woke uh, stuff came about. Um, uh, bah, 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 uh, uh, academically, and all he does is he just reads uh, postmodernist and woke ideology, and then unpacks it and because it's all word salad another one is um who i is a really good example of this is a guy called runkle of the bailey who does canadian law and he explains canadian law and that's all he does he puts a little thing which is less work he takes a picture puts some orange letters on it and then he just talks about law for 20 30 minutes and explains like his last one was how we're going to have to have police sir want a liquor database in edmonton uh uh, and I think, unless I'll just finish this up. And so what is happening here is that this is, uh, examples of merit-based dem democratic, uh, uh, media, because these, the, a lot of these people are having to, uh, come up with their own thing like they have to do their own research they have to put together everything um 
all on their own. They maybe will hire a uh, an editor or you know a media guy. Except the the lawyer guy doesn't seem to have maybe he doesn't have one, but it doesn't look like he puts too much effort into this thing. Uh, and they get paid democratically too through you know crowdsourced money. So there's no reason you have to have this big you know overarching mega institution. Um, you can be a gamer who uh on youtube i'm just looking sorry about uh some of these ones you can be have a gaming channel on youtube which is something worth talking about people enjoy games there's nothing wrong with talking about games and uh there's this one guy old he plays old games but he's got high production values because he puts the effort in him and probably a friend got together and said hey let's do a gaming channel and they got by on their merit and so i think what a lot of this uh democratic media does is that it allows for merit to shine through but there's a big but one one thing i did want to add to that before you keep going though is i didn't mean to say that um it's not so much that the content itself isn't something that people would necessarily or should necessarily enjoy what i'm sort of getting at though is that the the popularity of content that's out there isn't necessarily what's in the public's best interest. Like that's no, not, that's not what that we're good what at I evaluating. To, that's what I wanted to get at because I'm saying, I'm talking about merit and a lot of the channels I like are good at what they do. Like I have some gaming channels. I have a couple of philosophy channels. Uh, I've got just some topics that I'm interested in. Um, the tank museum for some reason has amazing content if you're interested on tanks (laughs) but that's the thing they rely on they're looking for their audience they know that some people are going to want to watch stuff about tanks because tanks are cool but the problem is is that what that's i'm not the normal audience what you get companies coming in knowing what to do and then they and, and they put stuff on the front page with stuff that random people are going to unhealthily consume in an unhealthy way. And you get like clickbait stuff and, uh, um, and just junk. There's just so much. But it's media. worse than that. There's actually outright misinformation. Mm-hmm. Like there are studies that get published about that make correlative errors, like errors in judgment in the studies themselves. And then when it's brought to light, the publishers don't publish the corrections or they'll sneak it in on like a back page after making it a headline news. So people run away from it thinking that they know something new from a study when in reality, even the publisher knows that it was false and they're not admitting to it Do you right. know, or they're not. Yeah. And uh, like you get like national Enquirer bullshit, which was like, you believed it, but they're doing it with a straight face. <laughs> yeah, like, they, they do it with like medicine and stuff too. Like they'll say yeah. people with, um, people should be moved right after they have a stroke. They should get up and walk around because it'll, it'll help them recover from their stroke. Oh, That's patently yeah. false, but they had a study done that was misinterpreting the data. Sometimes it's outright falsified data. Like that guy in Japan who published like, uh, he got an award for the most publications in nature magazine or whatever, which is, <laughs> the most reputable nature science journal publication there is. And this dude completely fraudulated or <laughs> defrauded the, the, the system 
Yeah. And there's no, there's no correction done except for like a liner note, like three months later that nobody notices. But yeah. that type of stuff could be really easily done on YouTube and it's not. You get There um, could be a whole channel just for corrections and that type of news or you, just for peer-reviewed research and say, hey, community, if you guys want to publish a paper under your name and get some practice, here's are all the things that we need people to peer review. But right. they don't do it. They play gatekeepers at the publishers direct no. and, and nobody is... else has access to the, these sources. Can you imagine if someone like, well, uh, like you have like holistic health and just woo uh, medicine and they go online. Um, this is close to my heart, but they go online and they uh, start telling you to drink colloidal silver or something. And this is a, a water solution that you can make at home and it's supposed to cure lots of stuff. And then you turn blue. Uh, and a lot of people online are like typing colloidal the benefits, of colloidal silver, and you pick one that has like Buddhist imagery on it. And you'll probably be right in there and you'll hear a ton of misinformation. And, uh, Ivermectin is a perfect example of that. Yeah. Like and, absolutely no evidence whatsoever what they're talking about. And the, but like there are entire books written on this. I don't know if I'm going to go into it. Reading. That's, that's no. what I'm getting at. People so just get... don't even care to know the truth. So I don't like really We can't actually... even trust ourselves to filter our filters. Right. I don't really mind so much if people go online and say wrong things. What no, I mind is what I mind is when you go online and the worst offender right now for me that just hits me right here. Uh, is the Tolkien Society. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings nerd. I'm wanting to get a Lord of the Rings scholar on here. Uh, Chris doesn't care so much, but I do. No, uh, no. but the books were amazing. Um, they're amazing pieces of literature. And the Tolkien Society is kind of like the society that manages Tolkien's scholarly heritage or something. Um, they're pretty much just a big fan club. But uh, what they do is they hold lectures because, you know, on like English literature, on uh, like Germanic literature, on that kind of thing. And so, but what they did last in the last round of lectures where they were all completely and utterly woke. Uh, let me just pull some of these up, right? I'll read you guys some titles. Uh, if it loads, God forbid it, God forbid it load. So what they do is they're going up and they're saying stuff that has nothing to do with, uh, here we go, with uh, what told, like Lord of the Rings has, because you have one projecting Indian myths, culture, and history into Tol Tolkien's worlds. Okay, well, why? Uh, translation is a means of representation of diversity, uh, destabilizing cis-hetero uh and amen and mata normativity in the works of tolkien visions of iconographies uh questions of the castle and lord of the rings in multiple chinese like okay that one's actually kind of interesting here we go queer atheists agnostic and animists oh my this has nothing this is not anything to do with the spirit of tolkien's works they're just deconstructing it to turn into something oh here we go uh, they have a picture of Ibram X. Kendi, who is the king of what we're talking about. Uh, the Lost Loth, indigeneity, identity, and anti-racism in 
Lord of the Rings. That has nothing to do with Lord of the Rings. They're just saying stuff. Now, the problem is, is that I can go on and say, I can, I can watch this, come up with counter arguments. They're allowed to say stuff like this. They're allowed to be woke as heck. I'm not telling people you sh that they can't be woke. I'm just saying you shouldn't be. But the comments are turned off for every single video. And it's the whole idea that this is a society of academics that invites academics to talk and discuss. And then they put their, their thing online and then they don't allow any discussion. That's regressive. That's, I don't have any other word for it. That's a how, how many years do people have to suffer before we're allowed to talk about Palestine? Like, it's absolutely insane that the whole world can't get together and figure out a solution together. Mm -hmm. Like, we're not allowed to speak about it. It's taboo. We're not allowed to speak about Muslims. We're not allowed to speak about Hindus. Like, Why caste not? system in India is I wrong. I talk about let's, them all the time. <laughs> let's find a way to fix it, though. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there, there's no reason to to make a glass um what do you call that like the iron dome or whatever around certain subjects because then you're creating an authority who gets to choose which subjects are sacrosanct and which ones aren't right and that's just again, why i kind of just creating the problem that you're trying to avoid you're creating is... a situation of a person in power with authority over people's ideas and expression and that's literally the thing that you're claiming everybody else is abusing you with like that's literally Ibram X Kendi's shtick. He's like the anti-racism guy. And he's like, his whole thing is like, you need to be anti-racist by being discriminatory against white people. And I'm just like, so I'm not allowed to criticize that? No, because you're white. It's like, oh, I guess I'm damned <laughs> if I do. Why am I not allowed to talk about this? Because you're a colonializer. It's like, I'm Slavic. <laughs> but even if you were, you're not allowed to be. Like... If yeah. you went outside today and tried to be racist, everybody would shoot you down. Yeah. Nobody would follow you. My neighbors on that stupid. side are, uh, are Indian and the neighbors on that side are indigenous and there's black people across the road. Why, how, like, they're just my neighbors. Like, and if I was, if I was racist to them, I'd like, I'd, I want to be a good neighbor because we all can look out for each like there's more okay i'm getting into a digression here but there's more there's more benefit there's no like okay sorry i'm arguing from a position of cynicism well like i could just go out and be racist to people as if it would give me some kind of boon <laughs> i can't and the even... thing is, for the very very select few people who don't have empathy those psychopaths and sociopaths of the world yeah. you're not gonna fix them you are not going to change a single thing by forcing them to speak differently no. in public. All you're going to do is reinforce the small beliefs that stupid or ignorant people have because nobody's allowed to say otherwise. They mm. never hear the opposite. So they think right. there's a conspiracy which and then is, they storm the Capitol because they're, they're, they're ignorant. Well, which is why I can't, we, we I think, think they're doing the right thing being patriots because that's what you show them in movies. Well, I think the better example would be flat earthers, which, I honestly can't. All of Alex Jones. All of it is people who are ignorant and scared. Yeah, but flat earthers, it's a ridiculous thing. I don't care about it. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to, I don't want to hear anti flat earth. I don't want to hear pro flat earth. I don't want to hear anything about it. It's, Neither do I. That's why I'm trying to change the subject. No, but the thing is, is that I'm not going to get into flat earthing. I promise. Thank you. Uh, what I, the only thing I care, like I know 
the earth is the shape it is. And because they do the experiments in like grade four and they show you the sticks and stuff like that. Um, but you can do the, an experiment in your backyard. It's really yeah. easy. You just need a sundial and a ladder. Yeah. <laughs> you stick in a watch. But <laughs> the, the thing is, is that you're not going to, ch- if people actually are true believers of something ridiculous, you're not going to be able to change their mind. And you can try and you can have the discussion with other people. But if you find a true believer of something stupid, you have to just let it go and ignore it. You have to just be like, that's dumb. Unless it affects your own life. If you know a bunch of flat earthers come to your door and say, say the earth is flat, do the thing. The earth is flat. Like, I don't know, maybe do the hand thing like this. And then, and then you just be like, no, go away. But if it's, you can just no, because there's something that we're definitely ignoring as a society is that some, not everyone's brains are created equal. Some people just are going to be, and some people personality wise are going to be more susceptible than others. And I just got canceled. So anyway, I'm going to keep talking. <laughs> no, but it's true. Like and not everybody's an academic. I wasn't made for school. Like no. it doesn't mean I'm a bad person or I'm stupid. I'm just not built for taking tests. No, and you don't need a plumber to be like uh, savvy in you know how to do you know complex theoretical physics. In fact, a plumber will be like, "I'm just a plumber. I plumb. I'm gonna go home to my family." I'm like, "Dude, that's Zen." <laughs> and so I, I love it. But the thing and, is, those types of people are also more effective at menial work. And I don't mean to say that to degrade them. I mean to say that we have utilities and services like that need to get done. You don't want somebody who hates their job cleaning your sewage out of your drinking water. You want somebody who goes to work and like is just a noble profession to clean poop out of water. Right. You need people like that. You absolutely want people to be proud of their work. Right. And if they happen to be reading an audiobook while they're doing your drywall, more power to them. Yeah. People, like we just kind of have to let people be people. And I think a lot of what we're dealing with in the media and on like YouTube and stuff like that with all this new media is that we're not used to seeing all these people just like in the 18th century. We're not used to seeing all these people on the other side. Whoa. I didn't know the people on the other side thought that. And it's like, and then the, well, the thing is, is that it's the same on the other side, all the people on the other side would be like, what? I didn't know all the people on the other side were like that. And then they all hear each other and they're all like, and then you just hear this big cry from both sides being like, you're an idiot. <laughs> and guess That's what? Everyone is an idiot. <laughs> and we have to accept that <laughs> and move on. And, but I think that, okay, I'm saying that, but what I'm saying is we need to come at this at everything we're encountering from at once a position of ignorance. Maybe they could have something right about them. Even those crazies across the aisle, uh, doesn't matter what side you're on, uh, and hear them out because the thing is, is that if you agree with them, you can be like, and this is kind of that I'm pretty much just arguing for grace, but, uh, you can say, that's a good point. And if you disagree with them, you can say, let me tell you why you're an idiot <laughs> and you can have an actual discussion. And the thing about getting back to the medium that we're talking about is that with the democratized media, you can actually sit down and not just be like, so-and-so said this guy was dumb. So-and-so said this guy was dumb. You can actually sit down and be like, okay, let me explain why instead of just only having time for ad hominem or an attack or just calling you a 
Democrat or just calling you a liberal. Uh, these words that don't mean anything when you zoom out. So, but it's just the same as the words they use to describe those words, like woke. Woke is empty. It's hollow. It's shallow. It oh, means it's a, absolutely I, nothing, other than the fact that you think you're better than someone else. If you're woke, wake someone up. Say the words that are proof and evidence. Convince yeah. them. Use your your brain. Like they talk about, I'm such a high IQ individual or whatever, but like, oh. you know, IQ has nothing to do with higher intelligence. It's a test of retardation. Like mm -hmm. you're proving your own stupidity in your argument and your approach, but this is what we're glorifying in our media. This is the type of response that we're actually rewarding. We're rewarding Alex Jones for selling colloidal silver to flat earthers rather than accept mm -hmm. on his show a, a PhD of any sort, like any sort whatsoever you'd never seen on Alex Jones show. You'll have people who call themselves doctors who never got a doctorate. Like you've got universities like Phoenix University that are gone bankrupt because all they're doing is taking money, issuing fake, um, what do you call it? Uh, certifications or credentials or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. But they're not revoking any of the, the people who are claiming they got them. Okay. Stay on that track. Yeah. I'm just fact checked you. And I think you might've made it up, but you were right. What? Alex Jones was selling colloidal silver toothpaste. Oh, I know. <laughs> I thought I'm you were just taking two things. I thought, so just in case you don't know, he wasn't just putting two of the things we were talking about before together. This actually No, this thing. is just how my brain works. Yeah. <laughs> I connect things. That's why I'm not good at school, but I'm good with markets. Mm -hmm. Markets are dynamic systems. That's why I'm not good at programming. I just enjoy it because you can link dynamic systems together and program. Mm -hmm. But the point I'm getting at, though, is it's not just Alex Jones and it's not just his followers and it's not just Trumpers and it's not just anti-vaxxers. The problem is our society. We're rewarding collectively, even in the scientific community, the wrong types of behaviors and practices. We're rewarding the wrong types of behaviors and news by giving them clicks and views and having a click and view model mm -hmm. for an information system. That's not how information works. Right. We don't spread knowledge. At, like, for instance, with COVID, you hear every single day on every local news station across the entire planet, the entire civilized world is listening. You think anybody's learned even first year statistics in the last two years of hourly daily updates of numbers? No. Nobody was taught anything about statistics. Well, nobody taught anything about a p value. And it's not even that, like, they're giving you all the data right up front. So you can put it into graphs and organize the graphs. And they're giving you, they're actually giving you quite a bit of information. But they don't whether tell not you it's accurate to actually put it together. Scale. No, they're, they're telling you, trust us. We are the authority. Uh, da, 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 planet goes by and the but news it's cycle it's, it's, starts. This is the worst ever. Or yeah. this is a 5,000% increase from this time last year. Like, I how think, irrelevant is that number? An increase on an increase. Yeah. Like growth gets, rates. Well, let's see, the, one of the other things is that when you sensationalize it, this, and I noticed this when I was in, uh, when I was um, traveling for Christmas, is that the, the opinions of people started to change over the last year from previous Christmas about coronavirus. Because everyone last year was just like, oh, coronavirus, coronavirus. And this year it's just like, I don't give a flying F like people from every uh, 
side of spectrum were just like, I don't care about COVID. So what's happening isn't that like people are just COVID fatigue, which is just happening, but you get the same thing with like the Star Wars movies, but where you just inundate the, the, the media landscape with one thing of information when there is not, there is more happening in the world than just COVID. Um, and there are more stories than just Star Wars to be produced. Yeah. Marvel. Like the same shit over and over and over again. Please. And do you know how many writers have been sitting at home desperate to get their screenplays to get like a low budget $50,000 movie done? They could be publishing hundreds of thousands of movies for the money they spend on a movie nobody wants to watch, but they have to because nothing else is out. Right. And you might end up just one of them might be an absolute gem. Yeah. Like, and but like as a society and a culture shouldn't we appreciate the hundred thousand stories more than the one that nobody really remembers like tell me which spider-man is which like uh, you probably know based on the actor and not the plot yeah I, yeah we <laughs> were just the we're actually watching the, justice the spider-man league. movies right tell me now. <laughs> what justice league's plot line was different from the other justice leagues i don't know bad guy got hit in the face a lot yeah and i get that it's just fun <laughs> and it's stupid and gratuitously violent and whatever i enjoy violence too but when that's all you're producing as a movie studio you got right. a fucking problem right <laughs> well it's when i guess that that's an example of the the money committee making decisions for the people who are doing it like right yeah, now a rehash is a safer bet economically now i'm not comparing us to marvel no but what we're doing here is we're free to say whatever we want, whatever we want, and within the bounds of polite society. I can, you know, which are and my authoritarian editing control. Yes, uh, which I clearly I... exercise. <laughs> Just please edit out the birds. We're like fucking. It's good enough. Like <laughs> yeah. There's a uh, actually when I see a lot of YouTubers who don't have like cartoon stuff going on. They, a lot of them seems to just get it out there but that's because the, the the point of our what we're doing is the conversation that's that that's our that's our um that's well, our product, i skip I intros after the third time i've seen them anyway you know what i yeah. mean oh yeah who sits through an intro <laughs> yeah and to be fair our intros suck but <laughs> even tv shows that i like i don't watch the intros after the third episode i'm like oh, i know exactly how long it takes and i skip forward unless it's an absolute banger but um no, that's rare but like the um what we're doing is like we don't have someone behind us telling us you know don't say this or you're gonna get uh canceled or don't say this or you're gonna you're gonna lose funding don't say this or you're gonna you know the twitter mob will have this because we're we're trying to bring what we know to be real in our world onto your world we're not doing okay it's gonna be a weird argument but we're not living in the infosphere we're projecting the real world into the infosphere so we're tr so it can translate our reality into yours so well, I think what a lot of people are doing and a lot of what the problem is, is that they're not free because they're living in that digital environment. We're, we're living through the digital environment. When you live on Twitter, when you live on CNN, woke, you live on- They're in the matrix. Yeah. Well, uh, am, I am I saying like that? No. I, no well, the thing is, is that- what it is. The things they, that they say, they're victims of. That's the yeah. irony of it. That's what they, makes me think it's so stupid to hear it. 
But the thing about the matrix is that we're not born in the matrix. We're born in the real world and then choose to go into the matrix. As fun, and, fanciful fantasy. Yeah. Just, like, yeah, st- like a joke. this is the same problem as I think a lot of people have on like with video games. You can play too many of them and you can it can ruin your life. But when you're on social media, when you're on uh when you're on watching like YouTube poop um rather than actual content, um then you're 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 like it's rotting these kids brain but no you are there are actual deleterious effects to uh watching content in such a way that like that short-term uh short-term gratification content and short-term gratification news content it doesn't do a lot of good like there's a lot of studies coming out about um how the this is negatively affecting our psyches and so like anything even like the long-term effects like the structure of your brain forming patterns that are dedicated solely to the one thing that you're interested in yeah that has long-term consequences right like uh the the, one of the creators of you not youtube uh, facebook had a uh he just he had a a conversation uh, what do they call those interview uh on some at some universities words are hard um uh he had an interview on uh with a university class Uh, it was like a media journalism school and it was a really interesting interview and he essentially said get off of facebook like i don't like you have proof and evidence well not proof but there's evidence suggesting that it's harmful physically like health-wise harmful. everyone should like it should ring an alarm in everyone's head like okay if 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 the leader of a i don't know ice cream company goes out and buys their you know it's like hey let's go get ice cream it's like oh dad you're just gonna take us to work you know (laughs) then they go get ice cream now uh, leaders of facebook and uh twitter and imager and i don't know all of them yet they don't let their for some reason the majority of them don't let their children use these platforms that seems very suspicious and we should all like if they're not using their own product they're not getting high on their own stash maybe there's something wrong with that and that's eminem said that in one of his songs i wouldn't let my daughter listen to my music either i'm not (laughs) a bad parent why would i let my daughter listen to my music yeah (laughs) and so it's it needs to be handled in like properly now I've, I used to be on, uh, I used to have imager. I deleted it cause I noticed that it was making me, uh, it was like making me politically, uh, extremist on certain things. And I thought it was weird. So I just deleted it like a couple Christmases ago and it's just instantly I was more balanced. Um, and I think, I just think more clearly when I'm not listening to garbage, like when yeah. I don't constantly have to be like, that's insane. That's stupid. Why did I hear that? And then I'm remembering the stupid, insane things. Mm-hmm. Like, get out of like. I'd rather store those mem- those brain cells and those memories for things that are real. Mm-hmm. You know, because and- you, real things affect your life. The way you make judgment calls and split decisions, and the way you raise kids or interact with people, the way you work, like the money you earn in your lifetime is related right. to the things you learn during your lifetime. If you're learning a whole bunch of stuff that has no application in the real world, and in the process of so doing, you're avoiding things that would actually help you. Like, this is, 
this is why I'm like so skeptical. Like exactly that is why I'm kind of afraid of. I'm not afraid. Well, I'm a bit afraid. I guess fear is a good enough emotion to call it. Of the this new metaverse thing that Facebook's coming up with, you like you living online with a headset constantly, kind of Ready Player One style. And Ready Player One sounded good. Uh, I don't. It's not. Doesn't seem like a book that you would have read. <laughs> it was an anime first. Uh, I think it was a no. It was a book first, and then it was a it was a movie. It's a Western thing. And I'm pretty sure it was an anime first. I saw the anime. It was an anime. You might be thinking yeah. of something else. But, but, but okay. So the the premise is is that the world's a, a um a shirt hole, and uh, everyone lives on this thing called Oasis, and they have to hunt for a treasure in 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 the digital world and everyone lives on the digital world because everyone's got these things and they go to school in them uh kind of covid style but um and so they are all just kind of living in these you know trailers stacked upon like going up because they don't need to live anywhere because they just buy everything on men this is kind of why nfts are taking off because they want a lot of plus, plus the fact that everyone's stupid um but like Nike just signed a deal to 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 sell digital shoes on the digital world that everyone's going to be interacting in that has connections to the real life. You can spend actual money in this metaverse, and that just to me is just people. The reason I'm kind of afraid of it is because this stuff you have this world that everyone's going to want to live in and like live live in, not like like live in like we're living here because it's better. You can be whatever you want. You can be whatever gender you want and make up your own gender like the rest of the idiots. And you can be whatever you want. It doesn't have any relation to what you are in the real world, but the real world is still going to be supporting that. And so you're still going to need electricians and engineers and all these things doing actual work in the real world. And I say let them because those people aren't fit to run the world and they're running the world right now. Ooh. Oh, no, I'm so, serious. No, I, I know want those people in charge of my safety or my health or my security or my country or diplomacy or my finances. I don't want those people to have anything to do with anything that matters to me. So and deliciously my harsh. No, I agree. No, I, I want them to be happy and live fulfilling lives on the metaverse as much as they want. Mm-hmm. I'll build and help them build robots to do all the all the farming and shit for them so that they have food to eat. But I don't want them running our government. No. I don't want them anywhere near our finances. I don't want them flying planes (laughs) or designing robots that have, have guns on them because they just didn't think that it would glitch. Like, I don't want these people doing anything of value. (laughs) Well, you're lucky because they won't really produce anything of value right oh man that's so harsh in the meta no in the metaverse you're basically putting children in a pen and that's fine you don't want kids to get hurt that's not why you put them and close them off and it's so that they don't fall down the stairs Mm -hmm. like i don't want these people hurting themselves they can't clearly do anything for themselves like they don't cook they don't clean they don't you know whatever if they're going to be sitting on the metaverse their whole lives they Mm -hmm. clearly don't read they clearly don't exercise. Well, like, to we go have... to that extreme, to be living in the metaverse, you would have to be so ignorant of reality or so addicted to it. 
I would help the people who are addicted to it, but everybody else who couldn't care less, I, I don't yeah. think they have any need to not be in the metaverse. Well, you ever try and like, I don't know, you ever, you have that friend who plays like a, like an online game way too much. And then that's their life. And they come and you're sitting there with your friends and you talk about like, yeah, I just got a raise. I should be able to afford that, you know, that extra thing now. And you know, blah, blah, blah. You're talking about like real life stuff. And they come in and be like, yo, I just got this, you know, I got the, the sword of infinite, you know, this or that. And you're like, cool. But like, it's a game, which is a game. And like, we're allowed to play games and have fun. But when the game becomes real life, I think the part of the problem is that with this new technology, with something like Twitter, um, you know, people used to play games all the time. Like, you get together and adults and play hockey and stuff like that. And you'll get, it's a, it's a social thing. But when you've made politics into a game, when you've made science and uh, discourse into a game um, like that, where it's, you're playing the game of politics, you know, when you go and fight Twitter mobs and stuff. And I think that when, when you get enough people doing it, a lot of what happens is what they think is real uh, becomes policy. And I think that's a big danger because you get people or like Twitter mobs. Uh, I think the other end of the spectrum spectrum would be um, uh, Facebook. Well, the apes with that whole um, game spot. Yeah, I have no idea. What Perfect example that. of that. Okay, explain. A whole I, bunch of people who know nothing about economics all decided to start buying shares. <laughs> okay. Because the hedge fund managers told them we're gonna we're gonna crush your precious video game company. And they were all like, Well, I can afford one share and a hundred other million people can afford one share. <laughs> Everybody bought one share. When, you know, not exactly one, but Yeah. Yeah, totally some people good. only put a $10 in, some people put a 10000 in because they could afford it. But the point is, these people are doing what you're saying. They're, they're rallying together against a nonsense cause of saving a gaming company when all games are online now. Yeah, and they didn't know how it works, so it ended up driving up the price, and everyone's like, Yeah, and the only what? people who benefited <laughs> were the platform who sold them all the shares. Yeah. Like... Like it hurt themselves. They're all paying from the same pool of money. To be fair, if you're only putting a hundred dollars down, a lot of us have spent hundred dollars a lot stupider right. than a big but practical all of joke. your profit, but <laughs> somebody else's expense, and that person was necessarily less informed than they should have been. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. The problem is they went out and fell down the stairs because they weren't putting a pen. <laughs> yeah. But, and I'm not saying it to be mean. I'm saying like literally people lost a lot of money and the people who made money only made money because the people who fell downstairs, mm -hmm. there was no other money to get. That's why the stock was falling in value. Right. Because GameStop is less and less every day. An outdated economic technology. It's, it's yeah, the thing it. is it didn't have. It's the same Actual like my old value. video store. Have inventory. It didn't have customers. The malls were closed. COVID was happening. Like it but, killed a company that needed to die, anyways. Yeah, it is the same with cryptos. People are spending tons of money on cryptos or mining cryptos and spending tons of energy. Well, meanwhile, like there's blackouts in Texas. Mm -hmm. Like blackouts killed people, and you're mining fucking crypto. 
because they didn't have power and you had power. You're hurting people <laughs> by being dumb. Like that, that's a serious problem. And they're poisoning yeah. our culture too. The movies that are coming out aren't just bad. So who cares? I don't watch them. Mm. That's like a whole generation's worth of art that is going unnoticed and unfulfilled. Right. And this is, well, and that's music, the same thing that happens on YouTube with the, with, when we, when you sign out of your thing and you look at YouTube front page, you see all these terrible things that you don't wouldn't enjoy watching but you want to click on them because hot chick or something and then kitty cats yeah kitty cats now at you know 11 30 at night when i'm just laying there going i can't sleep with my wife cat videos are pretty effective time and place yeah. time and place yeah but there's a the the media is telling us this is the best movie and then like honestly those are the most blatant lies uh ever because you know you see like uh you know the new star trek comes out this is the first you know female lead this is the first like uh black lead that you know has ever been in star trek and everyone who's been watching star trek forever has been like those are both very incorrect yeah (laughs) like they're blatantly lies just to sell them to a certain group of people who'll be like did you know and then they'll repeat it to their friends and they'll all be like we need to watch this this is something so wonderful it's happening in our society it's just like dude it's just star trek or gatorade's gonna make you a better athlete yeah peloton's gonna make your exercise better no you just had to try that hard without peloton yeah like i don't care power to you like peloton but to think they have to get a payment plan that's 24 months zero percent interest on like a five thousand dollar piece of equipment just to get fit no it's effort i think Don't advertise to these dumb people that they can buy their way into good health i think the difference I, okay so i think i'm coming to a bit of a head here but what we're looking at is we have a group of people that are outsourcing their not their decision making but their sense of truth and lie to other places whereas other media is just trying to find truth and understands that they know shit. Um, And so like what we're trying to do here is we're trying to be as truthful as possible. We're aware that we might screw up. And so when we're trying to incite the conversation, right? The difference. Well, we're having a conversation. We're trying to incite more conversation. Yeah. And so when you outsource the truth, to you know just authorities now some things i outsource my truth to and you're allowed to use authorities for things like in 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 debating we call that ethos you know where you rely on you know logos is you know when you rely on like data and logic and you know you know you're you're creating the argument yourself ethos is you're relying on other arguments i'm not going to be able to uh explain a nuclear reaction based on my own logic i need to borrow logic yeah i think i proved that in our nuclear episode (laughs) yeah so you need authority for some things you need to outsource your brain a bit because we are all better as a as a group of individuals and then the problem is when you get to pathos which is literally just wouldn't you wouldn't hurt a child would you you're looking for an emotional response and using these responsibly you get you know good journalism you get good politics you get well as good as it can be uh you get good stories you get good things but 
you don't have to make a good thing if you just convince people that they watched a good movie. And so like, it was a great movie. And like, and then you say like, I've left a theater one time going like that movie is crap. And everyone else was like, no, you can't say that. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, I'm willing to admit that, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder a bit, but that movie was crap. And they don't even want to hear it because it goes against what they've been told because they don't want to think for themselves. They want, they've been told this is a good movie. They've been told that this movie is, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. And I go in and I'm critical of it. And now it places me in another position. Now this could be changed from, you know, put a political party in there, put, put any news media outlet on there. And we're being told the whole thing is, does this piece of information allow you or let you, sorry, think for yourself in a critical way? Are you allowed to criticize it without being like lambasted by uh, a bunch of supporters? So we're not going to have fangirls going on going like, if you make fun of Chris and Jordan, we're going to burn your house down. That'd be hilarious. Yeah, it'd be nice. I got the little FG. No, No. (laughs) how dare you? And they have like Jordan with glasses, Jordan without glasses, uh, you know, fan groups, and they like go to war with each other. And, like, the key <laughs> indications are always, you know, 100,000 people said this is good. And like, that's the way they're promoting their product. So by telling you how many people like something. You can get 100,000 idiots together easy. Yeah. <laughs> if you pay enough money and tell each person $1 to watch our video, a free dollar for five seconds of their life. For yeah. sure, anybody would take it. It mm-hmm. literally just costs money to get eyes. Yeah, I don't even have to look at the screen while I'm doing it. It just has to be on my screen. I have to pretend to watch it. <laughs> um, but like, but yeah. like, they do it with food too. Like they'll yes. tell people that their food is fresh smelling, fresh tasting, fresh looking. You know what I mean? Like, well, they'll, like a, they'll be exact and specific with their words so that they're not technically lying. Well, it's like a but, can that says fresh on it. It's like, hmm. <laughs> The can like, fresh, fresh when, metal. When when they're talking about what's safe for consumption, like preservatives or whatever, they're saying this can will not kill you if you eat it. But if you eat this can and those same preservatives in the same concentration are in another food, that can has no idea what you eat next. Mm-hmm. People aren't being told to think about what they're consuming. They're just saying, well, they wouldn't sell it if it wasn't safe. Well, if you eat craft dinner three times a day, it will kill you. Like literally it will poison you. What was that? That guy in the, they did the movie Super Size Me where he yeah. ate only McDonald's for but a even month that's and his doctor was like. Dinner. There's <laughs> lettuce and shit in there. There's bread. There's a bit of protein. There's grease. Lettuce. Protein can be like resynthesized into whatever else you need. Mm. You're, you're okay with a little bit of protein in your diet. You can kind of get by, but like, there's zero in in craft dinner bacon it's bits just which carbs. are just cardboard with flavoring on it like yeah with powdered flavoring mm-hmm. which isn't real it's synthetic it's literally just you're eating trees but like that shit's dangerous because people are feeding that to their kids and their kids don't know any better and mm-hmm. then they grow up as adults thinking that's normal like yeah. that's a health crisis that spans generations we pay for it right 30 years later when that kid has diabetes is sitting in in the hospital we're paying for that. Not the kid who can't work. Like it actually matters to us what other people um, receive as information from advertising. Right. Or embedded ads. 
in articles that look like ads. Like I won't, I've talked about this before, but native advertising should be flat out illegal. Like oh, nobody's yeah. best interest is served by lying to people about editorials or um, c- commercials that look like editorials. That doesn't like help anybody. China taking out ads in the New York Times or something or whatever paper. They do this a lot where they'll talk about, they'll just be like a big ad, like newspaper. It'll look like a newspaper article, but it'll just be Chinese propaganda made to look like the New York Times wrote it. And the New York Times will be like, it's money. <laughs> and so the, and the New York Times is desperate. So, you know. Or they'll try and be fair and balanced. And they'll say, oh, well, this is our communist piece. We yes. just had to throw one in and we just happened to get paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> like it's socialism with Chinese characteristics, Chris, <laughs> which is also this, it, but okay. And I think this it's is capitalism good... with dictator characteristics. It's not socialism or communism. It's all word capitalism is, and all dictator. I believe the word Period. for that is fascism, yeah. <laughs> but, but um, I think the, the, the juxtaposition there is good because what we can do in our society and what we allow our citizens to do and object we can object and we can have we can be um i don't want to say critical but we can we can think we're allowed to think through we're allowed to say nay to anything we see we're allowed to and we can say whatever we want as long as we can back it up because it was like you wouldn't yell you know fire in a movie theater it's like shut up you don't know what you're talking about that's a bad argument because that's not what the discourse is about the dis the free speech thing is all about you being able to say i think this and then somebody coming up to you and be like yes well you're an idiot and here's why and so in that voice you have to use that voice yeah with a monocle yeah (laughs) but uh two monocles (laughs) (laughs) just like effect yeah hmm we did have a guy in one class who did get a monocle and he answered a question for the teacher and just was like well and put on the monocle and the teacher lost his <laughs> the teacher was just like are you serious <laughs> but he wore it in all the entire class but um we have this ability where we can think freely for ourselves and we're actually encouraged and the way our society is set up society is just better if everyone's just thinking for themselves and being critical of everything and coming to their own conclusions. And what we have to be wary of is when some company, government, anything, person, your boss tells you, no, no, don't think about it, just do. And this is like food marketing is like, don't do this, do this. Or like, don't eat fat. Fat's bad for you. Meanwhile, you need fat. Don't eat salt. You need, you know, well. Okay, Meanwhile, salt. you need salt because your heart won't beat if it doesn't yeah. have electronic impulses. Well, like- you mentioned Gatorade, but like I was living in, in Ottawa and it was, the humidity was so bad there and it was like 45 degrees one day and I was going out for a bike ride. I didn't need water. I needed uh, Gatorade. Valid <laughs> use of Gatorade, right? Valid, yeah. And so- Why like, aren't the commercials it- about that instead of like weightlifting? Like, I don't get it. There's yeah. a use for it. <laughs> yeah. And that's like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's not a bad product. And like, if you, like, you see them drinking Gatorade, uh, like, uh, the hockey players are drinking Gatorade. Yeah. How hard those guys are. They need it. We're sweating and so, buckets. <laughs> and so I can think critically. I'm allowed as a free citizen to say, no, nah, this company's, this company's pulling my chain. I'm not going to buy their stuff. And, you know, no government is going to, you know, the Chinese government's not going to come by and be like, 
nope, you have to do this. So you have to buy your little red book or you have to buy a uh, mind Kampf or something, or you have to buy a Bible and uh, whatever. And, you know, I, and I think that's the crux of it is we have this wonderful tool and which I've kind of called over the course of this time, this podcast, um, the demo, demo, democratized, um, yes, uh, democratized uh, media, which I mean by democratized means everyone or as many people as possible have access and not only not to just listen, but to engage. And we have this and it's wonderful and it's beautiful, but it puts a lot more responsibility on the individual. And I hope this discussion has helped you see the pitfalls, but I think thinking for yourself and making, when someone makes any assertion, any assertion, they have to back it up with proof, whatever that proof is, with logic, even if they can make a good emotional argument, but you have to make the people who are talking to you back whatever they're saying up that includes us. So I guess today's comments, uh, go be critical of us and we'll try and answer it. Or if you call us out on something and we're wrong, we'll eat that humble pie because that's how this is supposed to work. So, um, like that's, I think that's my last word. Anything from you, Chris? That's all I got. <laughs> oh, Chris's voice has died. Um, the one last uh, thing, uh, Chris's voice is gone, so I'll uh, uh, I'll get into this. So Chris would like to plug uh, Bruce Lipton, PhD, the biology of belief, uh, which pretty much I guess gets into exactly what we are reading at. So unleashing the power of consciousness, matter and miracles. Uh, I'm going to need a little more. No, that's it. Just mention it. That was my final comment. I just can't speak. Okay. Yeah. So I would suggest everybody read it. That's all. Yeah. Give that one a look. I'm probably going to give that one a look. I'll come back with a criticism because like I said, that's what we got to do. Don't just be like, I read this book. This is a great book, but everything is flawed in its own way. So don't just take it at face value. Yeah. Especially Plato and all them too. Like I love philosophy, but it's not because I agree with them all. Plato's a bit of a fascist. Yeah. Yeah. He was total and a bigot. (laughs) Well, if he, I swear if Plato was living in the 20th century, he would have been a eugenicist. He'd have been like, yes, but what if we didn't have the stupid people (laughs) and we were all philosophers, uh, but uh but the point is thinking about the stuff he said is what's important yeah aristotle i like a bit better because he was more trying to he was more scientific he's like what even is everything around me (laughs) and then he'd go for walks and look at it there would have been no aristotle without plato that's pretty much well it's counterfactual but it's pretty much guaranteed yeah they they kind of everyone there's a lot more guys but they all are kind of playing off of each other and no, he literally taught him. Well, actually, okay, you know what? They, yeah, well, he was his they, teacher. Yeah, and but a lot of what was happening then was you had a lot of people who were freely allowed to discourse, and they 
Plato and Aristotle wouldn't have been anybody if all the little other philosophers at the same time who were just sitting around thinking weren't a, a like if nobody was keeping them in check and they were just able to say what was off the top of their head right off the bat they wouldn't have been as good as they were because you know Aristotle says something on slavery to have all that free time so it's kind of a double-edged sword <laughs> yeah well we're still getting better at that we're doing better oh, it's working on it we're working on it we're doing better um we're doing better than you know China better and, than my voices yeah so <laughs> thanks to for save up with me to save Chris's voice, we're going to let you go. And uh, thank you for listening to Frivolous Gravitas. Please check us out on the internet. Uh, it's somewhere out there. The RSS feed is going. Uh, I hear and... you don't even have to dial in anymore. No, uh, I turn the, you can just turn the sound off so it doesn't go. Bang, 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 bang. I just mute that. <laughs> All right. Before uh, we end up on some weird other digression, we're going to let you guys go. And we'll see you guys next week feel free to cancel us <laughs> yeah please do bring it on <laughs> we'll publish down votes too yes please i think we had one i think you might I have done that it, was though. me <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right bye bye <laughs>